0: Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this service, we hope to see you this Sunday at either 8.45 a.m. for our praise and worship service or 11 a.m. for our traditional service. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our church-wide campaign called Do For One which You Wish You Could Do For Everyone. And this entire campaign is taking up Paul. Well, the challenge he laid to all of us in this, it's Galatians 6, 9 through 10, it says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as, the, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. And I unpacked this verse the first week of our series. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it. But the idea is that good works must be biblically based, motivated by the gospel, and the aim always of good works is to bring glory to God, meaning the works we do are about Him, not about us. And as a church, we're, we looked for opportunities for us to do good works, and we categorized these good works as give, serve, and love. And all I can say is, just wow, last week we talked about giving, those, giving to those who are in need and how the Bible commands us to be generous and willing to share. and. So far, after we're still counting a couple of things, so far we've raised over $8,100, I thought I had a slide, over $8,100 to give to Fostering Hope. Can we clap for that? Yeah, 8129 to be exact. And all of this money is going to Fostering Hope, who is a nonprofit in our community who are taking care of foster children and uh, helping take care of those families who are uh, taking in foster kids, along with all the toys and the clothes that filled up this part of the stage and the front pew. I mean, way to go, church. That's a great, that's just an amazing thing to do in one weekend. And when we focus our efforts collectively and we all focus on one goal, we can do amazing things for the glory of God of God. You see, this entire campaign is designed for us to live out our calling of being a gospel driven community, which is a group of people, a gospel driven community making God's love known. In each of these opportunities, what we're doing is reflecting back the gospel to the community. You see, the gospel, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus, Jesus is the great giver of salvation. So because Jesus gives to us, we then give to other people. And it's to reflect the great giver and the great gift that has been given. The gospel also tells us that Jesus came to serve. So then we go and serve others on his behalf. And service is the topic we're talking about this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to John chapter 13. We're going to look at a pretty popular event in the life of Jesus. And it's example, it's a, it's a posture, Jesus models for all of us. You see, the Gospel of John, if you've never read it, you should give it a try. It's a very interesting book. It's, it's written like the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where it's a biography of Jesus. But the Gospel of John is written very differently. It's very, very more concerned with telling you exactly who Jesus is. It's more theological than just historical. And in chapter 13 in this book, which we're going to start on, chapter 13 turns the corner in the gospel of John where Jesus is preparing for his death. Jesus is preparing for it by spending time with his disciples. And the event we're going to look at is the final meal that Jesus eats with his disciples before the crucifixion. Although John doesn't tell us about it, this is the same meal we read about in the other accounts where Jesus breaks the bread and passes around the cup and initiates what we call the Lord's Supper. This is that same meal. So again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 1. If not, it'll be back here on the screen so you can follow along with us. It says this. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now we'll stop there. Throughout the gospel, this gospel, the writer John has told us several times that it has not, it's not yet Jesus' hour. Meaning it wasn't time for him to put on his great display that he had come to do. And if you've been reading through the book at this point, we'd see, okay, something's different now. Now the hour has come. Now Jesus is preparing for this big event that everything else has been pointing to. It's time for him to leave this world somehow and go back to the Father. Just remember, that means Jesus knows his time is limited. He doesn't have that much more time on this earth. And again, John points to this is during the Passover festival. Many of you know this, but let's just remember that this was the time that the nation of Israel would come together and celebrate the great leaving of Exodus. Remember when they were slaves, they were in Egypt, when God uh, brought them out of Egypt. The The Passover festival was the time they'd get together to remember the great deliverance and how God had delivered them. And also at the beginning of this book, just telling you a couple of things that John's highlighting John has already introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And remember, during Passover, the Lamb was slain, so all of that would be coming rushing to the minds of the reader and should for you as well. Because right here in this one verse, John is saying it, the time has come. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he has come and now he's going to deliver us from this bondage of sin. That's the hour, the cross, all of that should be coming to our mind here. Then he points to the great love, of course, that he had for his people, and he loved them till the end. Verse 2 says, that's that's the tone. He's setting the stage for what's to come. He says, the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now John is highlighting how powerful this event must be to you and I. The one who betrays Jesus is sitting there with Jesus, and Jesus knows that he has betrayed him. John is clear that Judas is working with Satan or the devil, however we call it. But notice what it says about how the devil worked with Judas. We're going to talk all about this in depth next year, later next year, when we talk about this kind of stuff. But it says the devil prompted Judas. Did you know that Satan's primary way of of working in our world is by prompting us lies? Is by filling our heads with doubt and lies so we grab hold of and run with? Because of Hollywood, we think um, if Satan were to work in our world, it would look like something out of a horror movie. Are you following me? We'd think he'd jump out of a closet and scare us when we're trying to go to sleep. The Bible never paints that picture. He's called the father of lies. The primary way he works is by filling our head with these thoughts, by prompting these negative things that we can grab hold of or we can dispel. That is why it's so important to fill our heads with something else, that we can combat that. And we say, that's not true. That's not what God says. We'll talk more about that in depth later. So this evening meal is in progress. All the disciples, 12 of them were there who were following Jesus, including Judas, It says in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So yes, Satan is working in the life of Judas, but he has nothing on Jesus. All things are under his power. He knew who he was, he knew where he was from, and he knew where he was going. John reminds us that Jesus wasn't this weak, timid guy. Jesus was very powerful. Jesus was very confident. And so he knows that Satan is plotting against them. This almost sets the stage for a movie that we would see about a superhero. The enemy villain is plotting against the superhero. The superhero, though, has all of its strengths. And what we would see is that the superhero, and what we would want is a superhero to come and defeat the enemy, right? Well, he does. It just looks very different than anything we would have expected. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, in all of his power and his glory, gets up and takes on the position of a slave. Touching feet... And washing feet was an assignment given to the lowest of slaves. In fact, students of a rabbi, the disciples in Jesus, students of a rabbi were asked to do all sorts of tasks, like going to get coffee or making copies, things like that. But they would have never been asked to wash their rabbi's feet. In fact, some ancient sources tell us that Jewish people didn't even think Jewish slaves should wash feet it was only for reserved for the Gentile slaves, the ones they don't like. Those are the only ones who should really touch feet, not a Jewish person at all, especially not a rabbi. And so in this story, while it would have impressed us to see the disciples washing Jesus' feet, that would have shocked the first century going, that's going above and beyond the call of a disciple. It would have blown and should blow our minds that the rabbi, the teacher, the one with all authority and power, takes the position of a servant and starts one by one washing their feet. Perhaps it was from this story that the first century, in the first century they created this hymn that Paul quotes in Philippians 2, 6-8. He says this, Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And while we all appreciate the work from Leonardo da Vinci, we have to know they weren't sitting at a table. Did you know that? They would have been laying on the floor, pictured like a circle fashion. The food would have been placed in the middle of a bigger room, they'd be laying on a mat, feet stretched out behind them, primary laying on their left arm, grabbing food with their right arm. That would have been the posture. So they would have all been in this circle fashion, feet outward, so the slave could have gone around and washed feet, and they didn't have to pay him any mind. Imagine if someone was trying to go under the table to wash your feet. Would have kind of caused a distraction, wouldn't it have? Yeah, that's not the position. They would have been laying down. That's how they ate. So Jesus is washing feet, but yet Peter couldn't ignore this. says he came to Simon Peter, and we don't know if he was first, last, or in the middle. We have no idea. says he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? This was more than a question. It was a challenge based on their confusion about what is going on this culture is a society full of honor and shame and jesus is publicly shaming himself in front of them jesus replied you do not realize what i am doing but later you will understand see this display of humility and kindness was more than just washing feet of course jesus literally washed their feet But this entire act of service was foreshadowing the things to come on the cross. He is preparing them. If it is hard for them to see, picture this, if it's hard for them to see Jesus taking the position of a slave and washing their feet, imagine how it's going to feel when he humbles himself, he gets beaten, nailed to a cross, and takes on a criminal's death. Imagine how that's going to seem when he lowers himself to that extreme. You see, this great act of service was getting them ready for what would come. And for us, what we need to be reminded of is when we do acts of service, we are pointing them back to what Jesus did. As he did them to point to what he would do, we do them to point to what he did. When we serve our community and we take care of practical needs, yes, we are helping them. But we're doing more than that. What we want to do is point them to the one who ultimately came to serve. We want to point them back to the cross. We want to point them to the great act that Jesus did. We want to reflect the gospel back into our world. You see, our prayers before acts of kindness should be something like, Father, open their eyes to the deeper meaning." Help them see somehow in some way that this act of service, this act of kindness is pointing to them, to Jesus. Pointing them to the cross. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. As I heard one pastor say, Peter didn't have an inner voice, he just had an outer voice. He just said everything out loud. No, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. See, Peter's still thinking in social terms. He's still thinking about the humiliation and why Jesus would do this. But we see Jesus here pointing to the deeper meaning. Deeper meaning of Jesus washing him through his blood on the cross. You see, the truth is still there. Unless you and I are washed by the blood of Jesus, we can have no part with him. Unless we put our faith in his atoning work on the cross, we cannot be at right with God or Jesus. Look at Peter's response. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. See, Peter's a Baptist. He says, Lord, just dunk me. Just wash, just completely. do See, we see Baptist right here at the very beginning. Jesus answered, this gets a little confusing, but stay with me. He says, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. Now, not every one of you, he's speaking of Judas. So the rest of them have put their faith in Jesus. So he's saying, you have been clean. By what I'm going to do, you have been washed Verse 11, he says, For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. So while they were clean because of their faith in Jesus, his work he was about to do would cleanse them from their sin. Jesus says, You were clean, those who have had a bath are clean, and you still need your feet washed. The deeper meaning here is that you and I, although we have been cleaned by Jesus Christ, we will still need a foot washing every now and again. We will still need to repent from our sins every now and again. It'll never make us completely dirty. Jesus has taken care of that. So if we've been cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ, we still need to repent and ask for forgiveness to get those feet washed every now and then. But Judas, oh, he wasn't bathed in Jesus. And here's another opportunity. Jesus is right in front of Judas saying, you still got a chance. It's not done yet. Giving him an opportunity to come to him. He said, while he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. Of course they didn't. This went against every social custom, everything they've ever been taught and brought up with. He continues, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I your Lord and teacher, notice how he flips it, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. D.A. Carson says this. He said, One of the ways human pride manifests itself in a stratified society is in refusing to take the lower role. But now that Jesus, their Lord and teacher, has washed his disciples' feet, an unthinkable act, there is every reason why they should wash one another's feet, and have no conceivable reason for refusing to do so. So Jesus has a set a pattern or an example. It's the same word for you and I to follow. The question that comes to all of our mind is, does that mean I gotta wash feet now? Perhaps. Perhaps. But the example he is referring to is the example he put on by lowering himself and serving other people. If Jesus, our Lord of lords, the Lord of the earth can humble himself and take on the lowliest position in society and do a humbling act, a humiliating act, surely you and I can humble ourselves and serve other people. And here's the amazing thing about this act, We humble ourselves when we do this. We are identifying ourselves with Jesus. Jesus identified as a slave, so we no longer had to identify as a slave. When we do these acts, we're not doing them because a slave does them. We're doing them because Jesus has done them. He takes away any shame any humiliation, and bears it upon himself. So no matter how far you feel you are humbling yourself or lowering yourself, you're doing it to model Jesus. He took away all of that for us. To say, well, if the Lord of all can do it, surely I can do it for others. He says, very truly, I tell you, this is where it stings a little bit, just giving you a heads up. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Translation, you're not better than me. It doesn't matter what your job title is. It doesn't matter how many letters come after your name. It doesn't matter how much money you have. We are not greater than the creator of the world. Can we agree on that? He says, therefore, if I can do it, surely, you can do it. N.T. Wright says this, the quote's up here, it's rather long so you can follow along. He says, the church needs to learn this again and again because God forgive us, we are so readily subject to the temptation to proclaim Jesus as Lord when what we really mean is that we, his servants, are rulers of this or that providence in his kingdom. We easily create little spheres of influence, of power, and we enjoy exercising it. We talk about the kingdom of God in the hope that some of that kingly glory will rub off on us. We draw attention to the promises about God's people in Christ being kings and priests in order that we can lord it over others. And we quietly forget about the servant bits, the nuance bits, the things which, yes, The things which Jesus would have done. And so he lays down this challenge for you and I, for his followers, which calls all of us to go into despair thinking about the times we've missed it. The times we haven't lowered ourselves. The times we have let pride get in the way to model Jesus. We all think about, would I do it? Could I do it? But then he says this, and I think we miss it because of what he says right before it. We're so caught up in the challenge. He says this, and now that you know these things, you will be, what is that word? Blessed if you do them. You see, what's going on here is like a qualifier like we looked at last week. Remember when we talked about people being rich? Paul said that we need to be generous and willing to share. And then he said, right at the end, he said this, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. You remember us talking about that? It's like he's saying that by us being generous and willing to share, then we'll finally find out what life is really like. That if we're not being generous, if we're not sharing, we're missing out on true life. And so if we're generous and willing to share, we'll find out how how to live how he really truly designed us and something will happen. That's the same thing going on here because that word blessed translates in our language also as happy. How many of you are looking to be happy? Did you know it's the very common human thing? Every single one of you are. It's it's common to all of us. Every one of us are looking to be happy in this life. And Jesus says, "Now, now that you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. Jesus gives you and I a secret to happiness that goes against every ounce of pride that we have. What if true happiness, what if it really does come from serving? What if the reason that you and I aren't happy is because we're self-centered? Just pause for a moment and just pretend with me for a minute. Pretend that re- Jesus really did have the entire world made through him and for him. Pretend that you really believe that he's the creator of the entire world. Pretend that Jesus created each one of us with all of our different emotions and feelings. Pretend all of that's true. I mean, I really believe that. I don't know about you, but, but let's say that's true. Believe with me. What if, he's saying, true happiness in your marriage will come by serving your spouse? Say, ah, no, mm -mm, don't go there, I'm good. What if he's right? What if true happiness will come in your marriage by you letting go of your pride? You stop looking out what's in it for you? What if you started looking out for your spouse and served their needs? What do you think could happen What if true happiness in your job would come by you serving others? Instead of focusing on your promotion and your money and your rights and me, 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 what if you said, today I'm going to go and help others? What if true happiness really comes from getting over ourselves and helping other people? Perhaps, Perhaps the only thing that's been standing in your way of happiness is you. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. If you didn't know already, I know it's getting a little bit uncomfortable, we're gonna lighten up in a second, but just one more thing. Pride will ruin your life. And what if Just what if Jesus is right? You don't have to trust me, but perhaps you'll trust Jesus. That happiness comes from taking the position of a servant and doing for others. So, for Jesus' followers, we do acts of service for a couple of reasons to point them to the cross. Through this act of service and several others, Jesus was very intentional about pointing to what he was going to do for them. And again, the gospel, the message of Jesus, drives you and I to go into the community to reflect the gospel, to point them back to him. We don't do the good works to point to ourselves for self-promotion. We do them to point them to Jesus. The gospel will drive you to serve. And we serve, quite frankly, because we're told to. That's the uncomfortable part where Jesus just flat out says, You're not greater than me. Nor, nor are we busier than him. I have no intentions of making you feel bad, but you need to understand the circumstance going on here. Busyness is a very common reason to serve. Jesus, John tells us, knew his hour had come. Jesus knew that in a couple of hours he'd be hanging on a cross. I'm sure Jesus could have thought of many other things to do with the couple of hours left in this world. Perhaps see the Grand Canyon. I don't know. Perhaps he could have thought of something better to do than to wash feet. But he took those couple of hours he had left to serve other people we serve, quite frankly, because it will bring you happiness. He promises that. Take them up on that. And the thing that will get in your way every time, especially with our spouses, is pride. So, as a church, we're getting a little lighter now. As a church, we wanted to come together with this idea of service and impact the community in a great way. I'm a big believer in focused efforts that when all of us come together and really focus on one thing, we can do much more together than we can by doing sporadic things. And so with all the needs out there, it can be overwhelming. We can all ask, well, where do we start, Brian? How do we do it? How do we know that we're actually making a difference? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my time. How do I know that this place really needs my help? So those are great questions that you've asked, and so on your behalf, we went looking for opportunities in our community to serve other people. We had to find a place that would fit our church, fit our people, and something right here in Conway that really needed help. So after much thought and prayer, I felt led to partner with this school, and after a lot of conversations, we felt led to go to Conway, wherever it's at, elementary school. I was pointing to the school, if you didn't know, going to Conway Elementary School and talk with the principal. We went to Ms. Davis and simply said, How can we serve you? Do you need our help? And wouldn't you know she met with her leadership team and wouldn't you know she had ways that we could help them? Did y'all know public schools need a little bit of help? I had no idea, right? So we asked. And I believe that if we pull together, we can serve this school in a great way for the glory of God. We believe both the students the teachers, and families, and of course that means then our community would be impacted by this service. So here's the way she has said she needed our help. First way we can serve them is serving the students by reading with them. And you have a handout in your bulletin in the worship guide. There's a handout, and it's a sign-up sheet for you to check how you want to get involved. And so this is reading with the children, and this may include reading aloud to the students, Let the students reading to you, read to you, or even reviewing sight words with flashcards. She expressed that Wednesdays would be the best day for this, and the volunteers would need to meet at the front office and will be directed where to go. This will be from kindergarten through second grade, which makes us all feel relieved going, I can follow that book. Like, I'm good. (laughs) I will know those words. I can do this. Miss Davis said it'll take an approximately one hour with these students. We're thinking of meeting there at 8.30 in the morning, spending one hour. Perhaps you could go into work just a little bit late that day. The second one's a little bit more involved. We got something for everybody. The second one's a little bit more involved. This is eating lunch with the children. This is where volunteers can set their day and choose the lunchtime most convenient for them. You can go, you will go and individually have lunch with your assigned child. This will be third through fifth grade. And here you just show up a few minutes before the assigned lunch time, you sign in, then you'll go and meet with your student and have a meal with them. You will be responsible for paying for your lunch if you choose to eat the cafeteria food, they will take care of theirs. Or you can even bring in food from the outside, I've heard several people doing that, to make that meal rather special for them. You could do this, what they're asking is a commitment to be some, somewhat regular. You can do this once a week, maybe once every other week, something like that. Relationship building is the key for this child. They will place you with a child who needs a positive influence in their life, kids that they have identified that will benefit from this. And by the way, men, if you're a man, can you raise your hand? That means if you're not raising your hand, I mean, you understand that, right? I'm just saying, how do you identify as a man, right? All right, so if you are a man, they say they're in great need for male role models. That doesn't mean that, that, uh, that uh, women can't do it too. Please do. But she stressed the need for males because father figures aren't in the home. So if you're a guy saying, well, I don't know if I can sit down. You, you are able to sit down and eat with a child. It is possible. And then the third thing we're gonna do is in May we're gonna have a teacher, during Teacher Appreciation Week, we're gonna serve the staff lunch. We can pick a day between May 4th through May 8th, and this, we're gonna set up an area in the school and we're gonna serve them. Now yes, this means we're gonna cater it or y'all are gonna bring food, I don't know what that looks like, you don't want me planning that part, but what what I'm trying to say is we're gonna serve them. I want us to wait on them, fill up their drinks, smile at them. I mean, this is the Myrtle Beach area. Many of you probably worked in a restaurant during high school time, right? Anybody? We'll have waiter training then if you don't know how to do it, okay? But we will serve them, and we want to make them feel special. And the key to this is when we're in the school for the rest of the year constantly serving, then we can have good personal interaction with these teachers that we've been serving and helping for the rest all year long. So there's a sign-up sheet in your bulletin. All I ask is that you fill out the sheet with your name, check a box that you'd be willing to serve, and we will contact you with how to do that. We are organized. We got this all covered. You check the box. We will contact you with more information. And oh, by the way, just a reminder, those of you who will be interacting with students, you will need to do a background check. But we'll give you all that information. Don't let that worry you. We'll get you all the information to take care of that. So if you could, just sign up for this. And I'll be honest with you, while I was talking with her, I couldn't believe how simple these needs were. I don't know what I was expecting, but in the middle of the conversation, I stopped her. I was like, listen, listen, I mean, do you really need this? It seems so simple. Like, I I don't need you to find us something to do. Like, we will find something to do. I mean, do you really need this? And she said, yes. Like, they desperately need this to where there were tears coming out of her eyes for the joy that we would be partnering with them. I said, this is all you need? Like, this is simple. I mean, I can actually do this. I was pretty impressed with it. And I want you to remember that when opportunities like like this arise, don't be shocked if the first thing that pops into your head is negative feelings or negative thoughts. The first thing that popped into my mind to be transparent is, I can't do this, I don't even do it with my kids. So since I don't do it with my kids, I can't do it with somebody else's. Those little negative whispers will stop us from carrying out God's will. It played out in the life of Judas the same way. I'm not comparing you to him. I'm just reminding you what we read. It's the negative thoughts. Because the truth is, while I'm not gonna go eat lunch with my kids at school, my kids eat dinner with both parents every single night. My kids have their Mom, not their dad, their mom read with them every single night. The truth is, my kids get plenty of attention at home. But there are many kids right here in our community who don't. So perhaps we can do for one of these children what we wish we could do for all of them. So will you help us? We talked about service in general, that's a great thing to talk about, but specifically as a church, we're coming together to do this, to point them to Jesus, to serve because he's told us to, and maybe, just maybe, you will be happy if you don't, if you do it. Now, I know some of you, your schedule, some of you teach, right? Your schedule won't allow you to do this. Some of you are, those of you who are flexible, partner with us. Those of you who say, listen, I can't do that during those times, my work is too demanding, don't worry. Next week, the opportunity we're going to tell you about next week, it doesn't matter what shift you work, I promise you, you can partner with this next group of people because they're on 24-hour shifts. So if this one isn't something that you can do, there's always next week. So think about it, pray about it, but more importantly, fill out the sheet. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in awe of your great love for us. Father, it's hard for us to understand how you being God would send your Son to serve us. That you would wrap yourself in human form and take on the cross for our sins. Father, I pray that as you prompt each of us individually to serve, that we would hear your voice. I pray that our acts of service would put on display for our community your great love. Father, we love you and thank you for allowing us to partner with you in this world and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And Father, I also pray for those who are letting pride get in the way of being happy. I ask that your spirit convicts them, those who are making terrible choices in the name of pride. I pray that you help us all see where we need to repent from that well, we need to humble ourselves and take the position and posture of a servant because you, Lord, designed us for service. Show us how we can accomplish this for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Will you stand with us and continue worshiping?